0: I'm Amy Hall, and welcome to Stand to Reason's Hashtag STR Ask podcast. Greg,
1: are you ready to answer some questions? (laughs) Good morning. Yeah, the answer is yes.
0: Okay, great. Let's start with a question from Caleb. How ought a soldier in combat conduct himself in order to reconcile the directive to kill his enemy and God's commandment to love and do good to those who hurt them?
1: Well, uh, this is a very good question and and it's a little bit difficult to answer because what we're talking about here is a moral dilemma. We have a moral dilemma which is you are faced with one of two options or maybe three, usually it's two, that's why I call it a dilemma. And each of the options in in isolation from the other is morally obligatory to two, but the but the um Uh, But but the circumstance is such that both are confronted at the same time, and they are contrary to each other. Now, we have an obligation to love our enemy, but there is another obligation, and that has to do with um, appropriate self-defense. And um, this, by the way, this concept is exemplified everywhere in Scripture. Everywhere, not just the Old Testament, God sent Israel into war. God directed Israel to do battle against their enemies. God arranged specific battle plans for specific battles. Um, and uh, it, just as an aside, what's interesting is that God, in many cases, said... You go into battle and I will give you victory, but then either God gave battle plans or the commander in question, maybe David, arranged certain military circumstances to be effective. So there was no inconsistency between God guaranteeing an end and humans taking responsibility taking responsible action to see that that end is accomplished. The broad principle here, though, is that here is God commanding military action, which means there's an appropriate place for not only um, preemptive action, But also defensive action, or I should put it in the other way because defensive seems more obvious. Uh, On the defense, and also preemptively acting first in certain circumstances. Now, when you decide, when one decides to do that, is not always easy, okay? And there are a lot of other contingencies that are involved. But let me just lay down the fact that scripture is clear on this. And this is especially the case when authorized government agencies are involved. When I say authorized, I mean authorized by God, because it is clear that Scripture ordains the purpose of government, foundationally, the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right, okay? That is the foundational concern, not redistribution of wealth, not helping people out, get better things in life, etc., 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 but this basic thing, and uh consequently that 's what God has ordained and um of course there's a lot of lot of elements in government now it 's not that way where it's the punishment of good those who do good and and the um praise of those who do wrong but th- that again that 's another issue but i I just wanted to bring it in because this is all part of the interplay of factors that we have to keep in mind when we make decisions like this, so the question then needs to be for any individual, uh, do they think the actions—okay, let me back up another step. So therefore, um, the use of lethal force by an appropriately designated government agency is, in principle, not only morally acceptable, but morally required. Okay, it's part of submitting Okay. Now, of course, that has limitations, and even our, our laws acknowledge that. So, you, you fight in a battle, but you don't shoot prisoners, for example, because that's not a justified use of lethal, um, lethal force. Um, the police force can exercise um, violent action towards other individuals and even use lethal force but those things are all managed so that the circumstances justify the proper use of that force and when that's exceeded then there's legal action all right so this is all just to establish that these these the police and military are appropriate expressions of government um punishing evildoers and praising those who do good. And, uh, of course, I guess implicitly also looking after the flock, so to speak, that has been entrusted to them. Okay, and this is why we are to submit to the authorities above us. Lots of New Testament stuff on that. And incidentally, Jesus never overturned that by saying, turn the other cheek. Uh, This is not what Jesus was talking about and just making an observation. Uh, When you could turn to John chapter 18, I think it is, when Jesus was on trial and he was slapped, he did not turn the other cheek. He he said, uh, If I have done some wrong, then bear witness to the wrong, but if I did no wrong, then why did you slap me? In other words, he was holding the authorities to account for their actions all right he didn't simply turn the other cheek um, <clears throat> what that actually meant in matthew uh the sermon on the mount it's another issue but uh it certainly wasn't public appropriate public use of force which is what we're talking about here so um this uh, this all just kind of lay laying a conceptual foundation for answering this question in- incidentally paul himself said um if i if I am i think it's Paul or Peter wrote that Caesar does not bear the sword for nothing affirming the use of lethal power by the government as legitimate in principle and and Paul also said, if I have done anything worthy of death i do not uh I, um how did he put it I, I do not refuse to die or whatever I, I'll submit to that, but I haven't done anything worthy of death. That's his point. Okay, all this to say, that laying that foundation, a soldier operating uh, in general in a war, in a battle, is not in violation of the, of the individual um, commandment to love one's enemy, which is an interpersonal kind of thing, um, though it may influence the manner in which he carries out his responsibilities as a soldier— And there are also going to be limitations in the way he uses lethal force out uh, in battle, okay? By the way, those limitations are very hard to figure out. And um, uh, the the whole idea, uh, I'm a student of uh, warfare to some degree, uh, especially the Second World War, the whole idea of strategic bombing. Uh, was controversial, and we—that that is, you bomb cities, <laughs> not just military targets. But what it did is it brought a swifter end to the war, and especially in the case of Japan. So sometimes very, very gruesome things that would, in isolation, not be justified, can be morally justified, and even be argued as morally obligatory when you look at the bigger picture, of uh, the greater harm principle. Now, there are people who disagree with that um i i uh I understand, and this is why these kinds of things have to be adjudicated on individual bases um, but a soldier, I think fighting in a conflict that appears from his perspective and his own judgment to be a legitimate conflict um that would be especially. A defensive conflict, like the Ukrainians are fighting now, as opposed to an offensive conflict, like the Russians are fighting right now, um, a legitimate conflict. Uh, there is no, there is, in my view, there is no problem with um, a person taking part in that. And sometimes the confusion has to do with the commandment. The confusion is people have misunderstood the commandment. It does not say thou shalt not kill it says, thou shalt not murder. And there is a distinction in meaning between killing and murder in Hebrew just as there is in English. And the command there in the, in the Ten Commandments is not to take life in an unjustified way. It is not an absolute prohibition. Of taking human life. If that were the case, then the, the entire Old Testament would be a, a, a huge contradiction to that commandment. Curiously, the, uh, the command about capital punishment comes in Genesis chapter 9, verse 6. I mean, very, very early. If man sheds man blood, then by man his blood shall be shed, for in the image of God, God created man. So there's a rationale. Whether image bearers, you take the life of an image bearer, you sacrifice your own. It's an egregious offense. Anyway, I've said a lot to kind of lay a broad foundation there, Amy. I'm sure you have things to add. But, um,
0: I... Well, I, I just wanted to – well, first thing I want to point out is if anyone is interested in finding that chapter, because I do think this is the key. It's Romans 13 that talks about the government bearing the sword for a purpose as a minister of God, uh, as as an institution ordained by God for that purpose of keeping order – and protecting its citizens. So, um so that's in Romans 13 and I think this really is the key to everything because if you are an individual running around as a vigilante, there's a reason why that is frowned upon. Why <laughs> that's wrong because you do not have the authority to do that. It's the government who has the authority to do that. And that's what changes everything. I can't imprison someone, but the government can rightly put someone in jail. The difference is you're part of the institution that was created by God for that purpose. So how do you reconcile uh, the directive to kill the enemy and God's commandment to love and do good? Well, this actually brought to mind, I was just listening to Screw Tape Letters, Huh, And one of the things that Screwtape says in there is he's he's all upset
1: because— Explain the background for people who oh, may okay. not understand. This is a C.S. Lewis okay. piece, <laughs> yes. very cleverly written. Uh, Amy's chuckling because of the foil that is used to make—Lewis uses to make his theological yes. points.
0: So the Screwtape letters is supposedly written from a demon's point of view who's trying to tempt— someone and he's he's giving advice to the tempter of this man and it's, and devil so it's all,
1: discipleship.
0: Yes. <laughs> it's such a great book. But uh anyway, at one point in there he was upset because he says the English will will fight against the Germans and then they'll turn right around and they'll give tea and crumpets to the first prisoner of war that they come across. Mm-hmm. So as individuals they were taking care of the prisoners of war. Well, at the same time, they were fighting the war as part of the larger institution of the government. So Mm -hmm. I think there are ways to work that out as your individual actions, caring for people as you can, and fulfilling this purpose of bearing the sword in the way that you can. Which, by
1: the way, was not the case with the Third Reich. They had a very different way of dealing with prisoners. Although the uh, military prisoners fared much better than political prisoners. But mm-hmm. um, anyway.
0: So there, so that's a perfect example. You, your Christianity needs mm-hmm. to come out in both of those ways, mm-hmm. in justice and in, and in also in, in mercy and appropriate ways. You
1: know, there's an a interesting movie uh, made quite a while ago uh, Tom Hanks is in. It's called The Green Mile. And uh, the character Hanks plays is a prison guard. And um, part of the idea that is developed there is the treatment that um, prisoners should receive while they're incarcerated. So incarceration is the punishment, but that doesn't mean that one can take it a step further and the guards in charge then treat that person in an inhumane way. And uh, Tom Hanks is the character who treats the prisoners in a humane way, and you see that contrast that's being developed. There's some weird things about that movie. There's a supernatural element, but in any event, that issue is is I think nicely um, contrasted there. Um, the other thing I want to mention is sometimes people will say, "Vengeance is mine; it's not yours. It's mine," saith the Lord, kind of thing. Well, that's true. In other words, the basis for executing justice is God. Now, how does God do that? Does he do it immediately or immediately? Does he do it himself, or does he have someone else do it? Well, the answer is both. In the long term, it's immediate. That's Revelations chapter 20. That's the final judgment. It, I'm sorry, it's immediate. In the long term, it's immediate. God does it himself. But until then, in the context of human civilization, God has He accomplishes his vengeance, justice, in a immediate way that is through agencies that he has ordained to accomplish that end. And this is what Amy is talking about in uh, Romans chapter 13.
0: 13. (laughs) But actually, Greg, the passage you just mentioned where Paul uh, quotes the idea that vengeance is mine, saith the Lord— that's actually immediately before the passage on the government bearing. Oh, the sword. interesting. So what it says, what he says, is that do not take your own revenge. Do not act in as an individual to take your revenge because God will bring about justice. And then he moves right into the government.
1: And there's the means carrying out that justice. The immediate means, right?
0: So you see both of those things right there uh, mm-hmm. in chapters twelve and thirteen. You
1: know, it's uh, I'm glad we got to talk about this because there's a broader principle here, and that is um, rightly dividing the truth. And sometimes people will zero in on a line or two, and then, in a certain sense, absolute ties that line. In disregard for everything else, and maybe in disregard for everything else because they don't know everything else, so vengeance is mine. And then they make this this radical pacifistic uh, application of it without further reading. And for example, in Romans thirteen, that God has ordained institutions to to um, to uh, accomplish His appropriate vengeance in the temporal world. Or they'll misread Exodus chapter 20, where it talks about um, the commandments, one against murder, and read it as kill. I've seen this in so many movies, it just blows my mind. And I don't know where people get this idea that that's what it says, because it doesn't even say that. But it shows the importance of always being consistently fed in a thorough way by Scripture so you have a balanced understanding of the full counsel of God in these kinds of things.
0: hmm Let's go on to a question from Matchless M. What do you think about praying for angels to be with and protect people? And then he puts in parentheses, guardian angels.
1: Well, I, um, I don't have any problem with it, I mean, right off the top of my head. And, in fact, I've prayed that um, in a more general sense. Scripture does, first of all, angels are real. And I'm uh, just as an aside, I didn't say we believe that angels are real. I said angels are real. In other words, this is a conviction I have about the nature of reality. I am not qualifying it by saying, according to Christianity or my particular belief is, because what that is doing is subtly relativizing the claim I'm making. Well, this is the claim that is part of the Christian worldview. And, of course, it is part of the Christian worldview, but the Christian worldview is the view I hold, and so do many of you, that's true (laughs) in the factual sense of the word, as I like to add, true and the way gravity is true, okay? And uh, so, therefore, I don't want to somehow take the the the, the, the stuffing out of my own point here by, by identifying it as a personal belief. It is a belief I have, but it, the belief I have is that it's so, <laughs> and the belief could be mistaken. But I think choice of words in our culture right now on this kind of thing are, is important, okay? So, uh, the supernatural world, the non-physical world, exists. There are personal entities that occupy that world, and, um, and some of them are called angels. And angels are angelos in the Greek. These are messengers. They function to do particular tasks for God, and one of those tasks is protection. And we see this in the Old Testament, and we also see this less reference in the New Testament, one in the book of Hebrews, I think, is where we see this reference to uh, the children having angels that guard over them. Now, there's no development of that theology at all. It's just an acknowledgement of that. And there's another mention, and, and I'm not sure exactly which one's in Hebrews, but the other mention of angels in the New Testament, where it's referring to the role of angels, is that we should. Exercise hospitality because sometimes we entertain entertain angels unawares we don't realize that they're angels because they appear as human and in the book of Acts there are a number of times where angels were employed to accomplish some task on behalf of the uh, of the Christians and uh, rescue them for example from jail um, uh, or deliver a message. And so, this isn't the nudge-nudge-hint-hint kind of message. These are actual supernatural manifestations of angelic beings that are communicating something to the disciples in those cases where that's the circumstance. So, angels are real, and they have a protective role. Now, if this is what they do, I don't see why there's any reason we can't ask for God to aid us in that way. Now uh again God is our protector but God acts immediately most of the time I was thinking about this driving into the show this morning and I'm praying about it because there are concerns in my own life of how, how is it that God meets our needs immediately and how do they meet our does he meet our needs immediately and as a good example when the Jews were hungry in the wanderings, God gave them food directly from Him. That's manna. That was an immediate provision. It fell from the sky. But when we're hungry, that isn't the way it works out. When we're hungry, God provides, and this, not that God can't do that anymore, but in our circumstances, God provides immediately through others, usually. There can be exceptions, obviously, and I'm sure there are, but most of the time, God answers our prayers through the agency of others. And therefore, though God is our protector, the question then is, how does he protect us? And one of the ways that God protects his people is by using angels as warriors of protection. Uh, Daniel 9 has manifestations of this with Michael on behalf of, Of Israel. And so, once again, I don't see any reason not to do that, not to make that request. And in fact, I have made the request myself. Mm -hmm. And uh, I have, uh, to be specific, I prayed that God would surround my home with his angels, that he would protect us from the powers of darkness. And every Christian family. Uh, that is walking with Christ that is whose whose purpose parental purpose is to is to have that family make a difference for the kingdom is going to be a subject of spiritual attack and that takes many forms. but in light of the fact that we are targets as followers of Christ and the more visibility and more effectiveness that one has in the kingdom, the bigger a target they are by the way. Because we're targets, we're going to be targeted. And this is why we pray for protection. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil, literally. It isn't just evil, it's from the evil. What's the uh, the, the evil? Well, it's the evil one, probably. When I pray it, I pray it all around. I say, from the evil, Lord. Protect us from the evil, from the evil one, from any evil that would come to us. I got to cover all the possibilities. But one means I pray that God would protect us from the evil is uh, through angelic beings that could provide protection.
0: Here's a verse in Hebrews one fourteen, Greg, that describes the, the work the angels do for us. It just says. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? Mm-hmm. So they are sent out to serve us mm. and protect us. So I agree with you, Greg. I have prayed the same thing. The, the one thing I would say, though, is do not pray to the angels. Right. That's when you start to cross <laughs> <Oops>. a line.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right. God is the sender.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: They, 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 are, they are sent out. And uh, as messengers, God is the one who um, is at the switchboard, right? So when I, that, that's a very good distinction, Amy. Thank you.
0: And as long as you keep that distinction in mind, I, I don't think there's any problem.
1: Mm-hmm. By the well, way, but if you cross that line, that is a very dangerous line. That is a—I am so glad you mentioned it. It didn't even occur to me, but I just want to reemphasize this, that you do not talk to— st- Two, you do not pursue conversations with any spiritual being. Okay, that would include angels, or demons, or dead people. people. (laughs) All right, all right. This is like duh, and this was a commandment given very early in the law. Okay, it's called necromancy. You don't call on the dead. This is bad because it's dangerous. Anyway, enough said on that maybe.
0: And and God is great. I mean, that's the whole point of this beginning of Hebrews, right? Jesus is better than all of these other things. So why would you waste your time? <laughs> I mean, beyond it just being bad and wrong, you worship God and we speak to God. So, um yeah.
1: Which by the way is a is a um implicit evidence for the deity of Christ because we are not to, to pray to these others, but prayer is given in honor and obeisance worship given to Jesus himself as God.
0: Well, thank you for your questions. Please keep sending those questions on Twitter with the hashtag SCRask. This is Amy Hall and Greg Kokel for Stand to Reason. <laughs>